How are we doing today? Awesome. 25% of the room. Okay. No, you don't get a second try. Okay. Uh, my name is Michael, for you guys who don't know me, and uh, we are in week two of our series on relationships, all things mating, dating, and relating. And uh, so I'm really excited for tonight, kind of just the practical aspects of uh, all things dating. And uh, this is always one of those series that's kind of really weird for me because I've always, I've been to these before, and they're like super, super like cringy dating advice. And I think at times it's like gets so much into like tips and techniques and like some of that's good and some of that's great. But I also want to know what Jesus has to do with this and how do those two things go together. And so what I'm going to try to do as much as possible is put both of those ideas together. Give some, some tips and some tricks and whatever, all of that. But then also on the side of it going like what does Jesus have to do with this and how does that mark my way into relationships. And that's kind of what the point of tonight's going to be like. So uh, let's pray and uh, let us Actually, let's read some Bible first, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And uh, as you're turning there, let me read Mark chapter 1, verse 1 real fast. You don't have to turn there, but go to Psalm 119. And uh, this is what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now... Psalm 119, verse 1, uh, is very, uh, it's very different from that passage. And how are we going to put these together? Well, that's the whole point. This is what it says. Uh, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. That kind of sounds intense, right? It's a lot of rules and regulations and precepts and basically every other synonym for that word. And it seems pretty, pretty intense. And then it gets to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let me pray and uh, we can get into this whole thing. Father, we thank you for uh, this night. We can all come together and hear about uh, relationships and hear about all of what this has to do with. And uh, that you just kind of bless my words and grant favor uh, to just kind of really dig deep into hearts. That you would uh, so move tonight that this would be a defining moment and uh, just defining passages even. That we would be so marked by what you're saying that uh, as things in our life progress and we meet people, these are some of the things that flood back into our mind. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dating is like really weird. Right? It's like weird. It's like the whole point of dating is you just have another person who you're trying to get to know. What? Like you're trying to get to know them. Like really know them. Like you're trying to push past all the surfacey fake stuff that we're all kind of trying to give off all the time. Right? We try and present ourselves as nicer than maybe we really are or like way more polite than maybe we really are. 
we're all kind of fake on some kind of a level, right? Like, imagine, like, us in regular conversation. Yo, what's up, man? How you doing, right? And then you on the phone. Very different human being, right? Oh, hi, this is Tabitha, right? It's all of a sudden you're like a different, you're like a whole different human being. All of a sudden you're trying to present yourself in some kind of a manner to someone else. And that kind of is the whole point of dating. The whole point of dating is to break past that first surfacey kind of level of the thing you're trying to give off and push past into something deeper, right? It's just kind of, you're just trying to know someone. Like, that's so gnarly. Like, you're trying to know some, like, really, really, know, not just the things that you think you, but you're really trying to know, you get the point. You're trying to know someone. Now, I think what's really interesting is that we think we know people when we really don't. And that's the very first thing we have to get into grips. Um, like, as an example, I have a picture here for you. And uh, this picture is, uh, is kind of interesting because if I asked you uh, who this person is in this photo, uh, who would you say that is? Right, who would you say that is? Just say it out loud. I don't know who the heck that guy is. I don't know who that is. Because, because what this is telling me is that, you know when you go to a, Dorn a Donaire restaurant and there's the guy across, like the cashier from the Middle East somewhere? In my mind, that looks more like Jesus than this Scandinavian ski instructor that we see in front of us, right? How is it that we go and we look at this human being and we go, that's Jesus. I go, no, that's a male model, right? All of a sudden, he is what? White skin, blue eyes, long curly hair, the hands of a prince, right? He has this fiery heart of cross love chain thing going. And you're going like, that's, that's who that is. And I look at that and I go, that is nothing close to the Jesus that, that talks about. Nothing close. Dark features, right? Darker skin. A guy whose hands don't look like a hand model from Zoolander, right? Like he, he has calloused hands because he's a handyman working with stone and wood and, and, and hammers and like putting things together, like probably very calloused, rough hands. He's a guy who, imagine if you were living, you, you know, here right now and a Texan came up here and they had that twangy, weird, awkward, different kind of accent. That's the kind of accent that Jesus would have had for his people in Jerusalem, in the city, where they would have listened to him and he would have been the weird, awkward outsider who doesn't sound like everybody else. And all of a sudden you begin to peel back the layers of who you think that guy is and what we do with him is the very exact same thing we do with our relationships. We take it at a first glance. Whatever anyone says to us about what he looks like or who he is, we go, yeah, that's enough, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, we as Christians give our whole lives devoted to someone who honestly, if we're straight, we don't even know. And then we think our relationships are any different. We give our whole lives to someone we don't even know. And then we meet that person from across the cafeteria. And they look at you. And you look at them. And you go, wow. That smile. Right? They're walking out. Maybe they just got out of PE and they're, you know, wearing shorts. And you're like, those calves. Right? Or whatever is attractive to you. I don't know. Wow. Those knees. I don't know. Like, whatever. And you're looking at that person across the room, and all of a sudden you're like, 
Oof, like they smiled at me, like they made me feel really nice. And you begin to start adding all of these things that are really quite surfacey and just out front and external, but really doesn't show you the true individual behind any of those things. And we kind of just give ourselves to them in whatever emotional way that we want to, even though we really don't know who they are. That's what we kind of get ourselves into when it comes to relationships all the time. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I think what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to listen to this idea in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Mark 1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One more time, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The way that the whole book of Mark starts is by saying four things. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are four markers about that book. That first sentence is something called an incipit. An incipit is basically a one-sentence summary of everything that's going to follow. If you want to know what the gospel of Mark is about, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are the things. Those four things mark everything that's going after it. Right? Everything in the book and the gospel of Mark is based off of those four things. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are the things that define what that is going to be said and how you will read it. My argument would be that those four things should be the thing that mark you and define you also. If you want to be interpreted as a human being, it has to be through the lens of those four things. That you are someone, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, who is marked by being at the beginning of something. What? The understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the story. That is the narrative that changes everything about how you live. That's the story you are buying into. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, he giving his life on your behalf to die the death that you did not have to die, to give you a life you did not deserve. That story has to be defining to you in some way. That's the thing that stories you. You are a storied people, and this is your story. Why am I going off on this? The reason why I'm going off on this is because on Saturday... My wife goes and takes me out for a bunch of surprises for my birthday, right? So she goes out, and uh, I wake up at like an ungodly hour. It was like 8, eight in the morning or something. And she wakes me up, and she goes, we're going to go. And I'm like, no, right? She's like, it's a surprise. I'm like, let me sleep. That'll be the best surprise, right? So she wakes, me, she wakes me up, gets me out of bed, puts me in the car. She's like Instagramming everything while she's driving. Sin, right? So all of a sudden... Um, so she goes and makes me like, get to this movie theater in Newton, right? I'm like, this is where I die. And so we go into this movie theater, and uh, it's like this old ghetto movie theater, and all of my boys are in the house. I'm like, yo, what's up there, right? All a bunch of them are in the room, right? We got all the boys. They're all there. And I'm like, boys, what are we doing? And they're like, guess what we do? And I'm like, I asked you. I don't know. And then they're like, we're going to have a Super Smash Bros. tournament on the big screen. And I was like, what? And then we did it. And uh, I didn't win. And so all of a sudden, after that, we go, we leave all the boys, and uh, my wife takes me on step number two of the surprise train of awesome. And the second place that she takes me to is uh, Science World, because they have a Ripley's Believe It or Not thing. I don't know, right? So she takes me there. And uh, we go, we walk in, and the big thing about this Ripley's Believe It or Not 
whatever, was that the first ever lightsaber, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, is chilling in this thing, in this little case with a letter of authenticity, and I'm going to go and see it. Oh, this is like Christmas, right? So I go, I walk, I beeline all the rest of it. These like little kids, I'm like, right, get out of the way. I need to go see Luke Skywalker's like sort of death. So I go and I look at this thing and it was amazing. It was a life-changing moment. And, uh, and I see this, I start taking like seven different angles of the, of the photo of this thing. And it was really awesome. And so after we see that, we decide, well, let's go and explore some more. And so we start exploring some more. And all of a sudden we get into this weird little exhibit, right? Where it starts telling you about weird people. You get like this animatronic machine of an eight foot 11 human being who's the tallest person that's ever lived. And he like looks at you and like sits down and you're like, oh, that's a demon, right? And so you keep moving forward and you see like a two headed calf and you see like these weird snakes and you're like, what's going on? And we turn the corner and there is this one little section with a little warning sign and it says human remains inside, right? I felt like every white girl in a horror movie. Let's keep going, right? So I, I walked in, and uh, I walk in, and all of a sudden I look into this little case, and in the case there are these things, maybe you've seen them on TV or whatever, shrunken heads, right? They're like heads, like, like all this, but like a golf ball size or like a tennis ball size. Like they're tiny, little heads, and their mouths are like all sewn up in junk. And I'm like, this is straight nasty. And there's this little thing. And it tells you about the story of the people who do this. And it's these native people who live in usually like uh, South America or Africa. And these are people who uh, they would go and murder their enemy, right? They're fighting a dude and they're like, ha! And they kill him, right? And they murk some dude and that guy's dead. And what they believe is every single human being has an avenging spirit, which means the guy I just killed is going to try to haunt me for the rest of my life unless, unless I chop their head off. And then I shrink their head and I tie their mouths closed. Now you're going, what the heck are you talking about right now, right? This is my whole point. How many of you would be interested in somebody from that clan how many of you are going to go, you know what, the, the head chopper offers and the, uh, the mouth sewers, that seems like my kind of attractive individual. <laughs> None of us. The reason wasn't because of their personality. The reason wasn't because of their looks. It wasn't because of their smile or their calves or their knees. No, the reason why you feel like you're not making sense with those kinds of people is because they live in a different story. So for you, you go, ah, how is that really going to work with our kids one day? Hey, we want to teach you the gospel. I want to teach you how to cut someone's head off, right? Like that's not going to work. And all this is talking about is a defining narrative and story of your life has to be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the story into which you live, which makes sense that you should probably be with someone who also lives in the same story as you not with someone who lives in an alternate story. And this is why this makes sense. You go to high school, and you go to a high school where probably a majority of the people in your high school live by a different story. That story is something completely different from how you are living your life now. 
They live in a way where they begin to believe things about you that you don't necessarily believe about yourself. And you go, as of right now, like, this will be fine. This will be good. Like, you know, like, they're cute. Like, I'm cute. Like, let's just be cute together, right? Like, like that's how we're thinking of it. And never in the long term of two competing stories going back to back. Maybe it's, you know, the girl who's a Christian and the guy's not. And all of a sudden, one day you get married. And then you say, I want to take my kids to church. And they go, no, that's stupid. Why would we ever do that? And what do you have in that moment? You have two stories competing head to head. You go, hey, I, I think I want to get our children to get baptized. And they're going, I don't actually really believe in that. And what do you have but two stories really going head to head? All of a sudden, you shouldn't be putting yourself into positions of living your life through another story. Because in those times, you're either going to become more like them or they will become more like you. And more often than not, you become more like them. This is a whole thing in the Bible that we call being unequally yoked. It's do not spend your time living your life being with someone who's in an alternate story. It will not work well for you. Alternate stories make you do very different things. There is one thing that puts you all together into one space. Every single person in this room has something that, that, that puts them all together. Because you go, that's awesome that if I live this story where I believe that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the story into which I live my life, that's awesome. But why is it that I can't get anyone to really stick around? Why is it that if I feel like everybody around me is so immature or dumb or silly or whatever, like why can't we really figure this whole thing out? Maybe that's the question that you begin to ask yourself. And then you begin to be aware of something. Because awareness is what you do. Every stage of life is determined by one characteristic. When you are a child, it is innocence. When you are a youth in high school, your main characteristic is your awareness. You're always aware of the current trends, of the current lingo. You are probably creating the current trends and the current lingo. You are always having the heartbeat of culture all the time because the thing that defines you is your awareness. That's the thing that defines all young people, is their awareness to the world. Now, an adult, the thing that defines them is something very different. They call it responsibility. Now, the thing I have to push you to in your awareness, because you are all so good at being aware, is I need you to be aware of you. The reason why, at this age, commitment does not work is because your whole life right now, as a young person in high school, you have lived your whole life and are living your life with one thing in front of you, question marks. Your whole life is based off of potential. It's all about, I could go to that school. I could have that job. I could go marry that person. I could move that place. I could take a year off. I could go to school right away. I could work right away. Everything in front of you is all questions of I could, I could, I could, I could, I could. It's all question marks ahead of you. Now, me and you live very different lives. I don't ask myself, um, I could work there. No, I am working here. I could marry that person. No, I am married to that person. Our stages of life are completely different. And moving from potential to responsibility is a very, very big step. Which is why you giving yourself over emotionally to somebody else does not make sense when responsibility isn't even in their vocabulary yet. You get what I'm saying? 
everything about you is, I could, I could, I could, I could, I could. It's all about potential. And as soon as you start trying to live as an adult, as you did when you were a young person in high school, you find yourself having a lot of problems because you get into this language where you say, I am going to go and find myself. I'm going to go find myself. You're living as an adult trying to be a child again because you're trying to work in potential. The language of I I'm going to go find myself does not help you in life. Instead of going and trying to find some unicorn version of who you believe you are, the more important thing for you to do is to define yourself. Not to go and find another version of myself, but it's to say, this is what I'm going to live like. This is who I'm going to be. This is who I'm going to worship. And I will not falter from these things. Instead of trying to find yourself, learn to define yourself and look at how different your life is going to be. And look at how different the people you enter into your life are going to be. So different for you. Don't live in this reality of always being non-committal. Right now, you're good because everything's a question mark. But don't try and get into this place where you're, I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to go find myself. Now, this isn't a dig at anyone. I'm not saying that's what it is. But that begins to be the culture we create leaving high school. So why do we go and say, take a gap year, go to that trip or that Christian organization in Hawaii or go over there to Australia or go over there, blah, 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 because it's all living in the reality of let me go and find who I am somewhere else instead of what the narrative is where this is saying to you, you should already know who you are in living that. You should already know who you are. Who are you? You are a person who is storied by the idea of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, straight up. That's who you are. Don't try and find yourself. Define yourself by that. So then you begin to ask yourself all these questions about, okay, okay, that's great, that's awesome, but how do you actually go about in doing this? How do you, how do you make this go and happen? I'm going to define myself this way, not kind of participate or try to live a life of someone who lives an alternate story. Like, how do I actually go and do this? Now, this is what's really interesting about the passage in Psalm. If you go to uh, Psalms 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. This, when it's talking about purity, is not just like you're a great person. It's talking sexually. How do you keep yourself sexually pure? Now, there already is a bunch of different storylines all coming up, right? So if you go to your high school and you say, how do you feel about purity? Depending on what story you live in, you will give another answer. So all of a sudden, you're a Christian saying, hey, I, I don't actually want to have sex until I'm married. And then so-and-so over here is like, that's stupid. Let's go for it. Probably because you're living in two different stories. Now, I think the rhetoric that we do of this psalmist is going to a young man and he's saying, how do you stay pure? How do you stay pure? He's asking him the question. He's saying, just stick to this. Stick to this. That's his answer. Now, that's a great answer for some of us. And others of us are like, I barely read that thing anyways. But how do I actually go and make this happen? I think one of the wrong things we've done in church is we've gone to you and we've said, hey, uh, sex is horrible. It's icky. It's gross. It's nasty. Don't do it. You're going to be gross. And I think that's the worst thing we could ever do. 
because it's disparaging the idea that God is the one who created sex, and he created it to be awesome. He did not create it so we can sit here and judge one another and go, look at how gross and nasty you are for doing so-and-so thing. No, that's not the point of it. The point of it is he creates this. The very first blessing in the Bible is God saying to Adam and Eve, go and do your thing. He created it for a purpose. Go, I bless you, multiply yourselves. And how do you go and do that other than, hey, right? God created this thing to be good, to be beautiful, to be this connection point between two people. So let's not continue on this whole language of that thing is gross or that thing is ugly or that thing is bad. But if you want to stay pure, what do you have to understand? I think one of the ways that we look at purity is when you look at intimacy with somebody else, right, and you're advancing in different ways. There are stages. There is an A to Z, and there are things all the way in between. Right? We know these things, and maybe you've heard me speak about this before, but right off the bat, when you're trying to get to know someone, maybe you, uh, I don't know, maybe you kind of go and you give them the awkward Christian side hug, right? That's the first kind of step, and you're like, hey, partner, right? I don't know. And you give that solid Christian side hug, and then all of a sudden you advance in your relationship quite dramatically, and the next time you see them, it's like, hey, full frontal, let's do it, baby, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden you give them that full frontal. And then your relationship progresses to the point where that person looks at you and you look at them and you're like, hey, let's make this sucker linger, right? And you go and you hug them and then some, someone, one of the two begins to just start doing the circles. You don't know why, but they're doing the circles. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I like the way she does the circles. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I think I'm into her or whatever. And you go out to your first movie and... You're sitting there watching something romantic, like Fast and the Furious 7 or something. And, uh, and you're sitting there, and you're, you're all sweaty because you're like, this is the defining moment. I'm going for the hand, right? And it was much different than when I went to the movie theaters because you couldn't move the middle thing, right? So I had to navigate around and like whatever. And so you go for it, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to hold her hand like I held my grandma's hand. And you just start with the, with the cup, right? It's like how your mom walked you across the street. You start there because it's familiar, right? And then the next stage of intimacy with another human being is not just the cup. It is the biggest of jumps, interdigits, right? It's a big moment, this interdigits. And then after the interdigits, whoo, things begin to escalate, right? You look at her, she looks at you, you're like, man, I like the way you put that chapstick on, right? And then you gain a little bit of uh, confidence and uh, you go to her and you're like, hey, baby girl. And you move into stages of kissing. Now, there are three stages of kissing, very simply. Some of you are already giggling because you know about these three stages. These three stages are referred to as peaches, prunes, and alpha-alpha, okay? Peaches, prunes, and alpha-alpha. Now, some of you are so confused. What does this have to do with fruit, right? Peaches, prunes, and alpha-alpha. Let me, let me give you some hints here about how this works, okay? This is the, this is the kissing stage of intimacy. Uh, I want you to very, and I know they're large and luscious, but just look at my lips for a second, right? So, uh, so look at this. 
I call them my Angelinas, because Angelina Jolie. Anyways, okay, so, uh, <laughs> peaches, prunes, and alpha, alpha. Okay, so look at this. Peaches, 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 right? Next step. Prunes, prunes, prunes. Third step. Alpha, alpha. <laughs> So you've gone from uh, awkward Christian side hug all the way to Alpha Alpha. Um, after, uh, after this progression of kissing, uh, some of you know this from uh, sex education class, the next step that you go to is what they, which is so stupid, in sex ed class they will refer to as heavy petting, right? Uh, which really just sounds like an obese dog. So that is the next thing uh, you move into. and. Uh, that stage kind of is similar to like over the clothes, touching or whatever. And then you start going into like the under stuff or whatever. And I will just refer to this as a blanket category of Star Trek touching, okay? Is where hands have gone where no other hands have gone before. And so that is kind of that category of things. And then you lump all the rest of it because I really don't want to talk about it, right? So now you have this whole big, vast category of things. Now, what's the question that is overlaying all of what we're trying to say? It's this guy saying, how do you stay pure? How do you stay pure? If you know this is kind of the big progression of A to Z, the way that God has created the human body is that you want to move from A to Z as fast as you possibly can. And you will get caught up in that. You think, oh, we're just in Christian side hug stage. And all of a sudden, it's alpha, alpha every day. And you're like, how did we get here, right? And this is the crazy part. Is it doesn't always start and reset from the beginning. You get into one relationship, and you start here, and you're really nervous. And you kind of move yourself up in this first relationship. And, and you kind of break off this relationship right when you get to peaches. I don't know. And that's where your first relationship ends. Your second relationship, you don't start from the beginning again. You want to start where you left off. This is why this begins to be so dangerous. You don't start at awkward Christian side hug. You start back at, pre at peaches. Because where you left off is where you're going to want to begin. And then you keep progressing forward. And then you break up with that person. In the next relationship, where do you start? You start from over here. And then you go to the next relationship, and where do you start? You start from over here. And before you know it, look at where you are and what you begin to do, and then you begin to ask yourself, how did I get here? It's very simple. Awareness. Boundaries. And maybe not even asking yourself the question of how do I stay pure? You're moving from one thing so quickly to the other. You're going in this kind of a way that... Uh, that maybe for you isn't that big of a deal. And trust me when I say this, I understand what you're saying. This is always a weird topic of conversation for me because this is assuming that you're going to ask a, quest a question like this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. There is a small portion of people in the room that are believing that that is an honest question they are going to ask. I'm not naive. I totally understand. I am not good enough at talking or arguing a sermon or creating some kind of great speech that will compel you to do everything the way that I tell you to. No. 
There's a lot of you who are looking at me right now and you're saying, that was awesome, that was super funny, that's great, but I'm not going to do anything with that. I understand. Now everything in me is going to just say, please listen to me, please listen to me. Just trust me, this is how this works out. He's not, we, we take this thing in such a weird way. Like we think of this as like rules and regulations in a textbook that wants us to hate our lives. No, the whole Bible is God's word to us to allow us to flourish in the best way possible. Not as this like handy book to make us hate our lives. If we think this is a book to make us hate our lives and be all restricted and not have fun and so stupid, then we have a completely different image of God. Because then you begin to believe that the one who created this book is for that end. To make you hate your life and to give you rules and not let you have fun. But then Jesus says, no, 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 I came to give you life and life to the full. So how do you reconcile both of those things? The way that I reconcile it is this is actually life to the full. So what's the suggestion from those who are in a Christian context? Well, really is if, if, if sex is the most physical connecting thing emotionally from one human being to another, the only context into which that is safe is when two people are completely committed to one another and I know for a fact that the person who I'm doing this with will not leave me. What do you call that? Marriage. That's why that's there. Not trying to limit, oh, you having fun. No, what that's trying to do is limit your heartbreak. It's, it's trying to limit you giving over everything about yourself to someone else and then they leave you when you start questioning who you really are. And this is saying, don't even let yourself get there. Don't give yourself fully to another human being and make them feel like they own you or they have something over you. No, it's saying be just so grateful and thankful and secure in who you have said you are, which is what? Somebody who belongs to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not anything else. Why do we look for another human being to validate the emotions that I don't really believe about myself? That makes no sense to this context. Because all this is screaming out is, why do you keep looking for people to love you when this makes it very clear there's someone who does? Why do you keep looking for someone to find value in you when this makes it very clear there's someone who does? Why do you keep looking for someone who will do something for you when this clearly says to you there's someone who has already done that? Why do you ask questions and try to find answers that this is so clearly saying to you and shouting out and screaming, just believe me? Why do you keep looking for things that you already have? The only reason why you keep looking for things that you already have is because if you're honest with yourself, you do not believe them. That's the real question. This has nothing to do with your attraction to another human being or the way that you feel about church or the way you feel about sexuality. It all goes back to do you believe this? Because if you want to stay pure, what's the answer? Just believe this. Live by it. 
trust in the one who gave this. That's how you do it. The answer is not hidden in some jewel that you have to go find. It's pretty straight up. Believe in this and the person who wrote this and give them your life. Now, with that kind of a conversation and with those kinds of words, there are some of you in the room who this is not a preventative kind of conversation. You're already looking at me and you said, this is great. All the stuff that you're saying about you go from here to there and you should, you should save this for marriage and whatever, but I've already screwed up. I would say the very same thing applies to you too. Believe that. Because what does that say? Yeah, you messed up. But are you defined by your performance? No. But you are defined by his. So what do you believe? When we look at ourselves and we've gone too far and we've pushed the boundaries and we begin to feel this guilt and this shame and this whole idea about ourselves and really all I want to say to you is just believe in Jesus and what he did and what he's given to you. This is not me affirming that you should continue on to make these mistakes. No, Jesus was given a woman who committed adultery and people are about to stone her. And Jesus looks at the, at the victim and then looks at the people who are trying to sto- like throw the stones and he says to them, listen, if you have not sinned, throw the first stone. And all of them just drop the stones and they walk away. And what does he say to her? Go. You're free. Go. But sin no more. Go, you are free. But if you realize your freedom, your behavior is dictated by that event. That's all we're trying to say. Listen, you screwed up. You made mistakes. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel guilt. But Jesus has already taken that as a burden on behalf of himself. So go, live freely, live in the abundant life that he has won for you. But sin no more. Don't just keep sitting in those same rhythms over and over and over again. And some of us just can't get out of that. We are so just like, demonized and haunted by the things that we have done in our past. And it goes to us and it begins to impact our behavior all the time over and over and over again. And we give this kind of um, this, this, this sense of ourselves that we're like broken goods or something. I think G.K. Chesterton, this like old dead guy, said it the best when he said this, this idea there's a great lesson of beauty in the beast that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. The beauty, the lesson, the teaching of that movie or that play, the beauty and the beast, is sometimes something has to be loved before it is lovable. And if that's what you need to hear, let me reaffirm to you more so than ever, you are loved. You are loved. Not only the question is, do you know who Jesus is, but do you understand that he knows you? Do you understand that he knows you? Psalms uh, 139, 1-3 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He knows you. He's always known you. You have to understand That when Jesus goes to the cross, he sees all of your sin. 
sees all of your sin. Right now, this very moment, Jesus saw all of your sins past. He's seen all of your sins present. And he sees all of your sins future. And what does he say? I'm going to do it anyways. He knows you. He died for you. He loves you. He values you. Do not believe lies about yourself that Jesus, the Lord and ruler of the world, does not believe about you. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are forgiven, regardless of what you have or have not done. Do not make your life with Jesus about your performance. That is not the gospel. The gospel is your belief that he died on a cross and won victory for you. And the only reason why you are in right standing with God himself is not because of your performance, but because of Jesus' performance. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that counts. So don't take this as some push for you to go and do your own thing because that's not how someone who follows Jesus really wants to live. You are loved. You are forgiven. The future is right for you. And yes, you've messed up. But if you believe in him, he wants to give you a life, a life that is abundant, a life that is full and has you in mind. So let's pray. I just ask that God would do something crazy for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you for just the time that we get to spend together. For words like this, that we would be able to just sit with them and begin to look at the, the storylines that define our lives. Is this really about how I feel about sexuality? Is this really how I feel about so-and-so person I might want to date? Or is this really about me not really knowing who Jesus is? Is this really me not understanding the gospel? Is this me not trusting the word? God, I pray that those boundaries and those walls and those things you would kind of break for us. You would allow a night like this and the prayer to come to be a time for us of maybe confession and maybe just an openness to say, I've been going one way and let me go another. God, I pray that there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no haunting of things past or mistakes made, that there is just a gratefulness and a thankfulness of your overwhelming love for us in our lives. So I pray that you would make that happen in the hearts of all of us here today, that you would allow this night to grow us closer to you. Jesus, I want to pray. Amen.